0: Welcome to Taking an Organizational Approach to Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, a special series in the Equity Clinic. This workshop is a sample from our three-semester unit course that's available to school systems through AL Berry Consulting in partnership with local universities. For more information, just email toolkit at alberryinc.com. I'm Almitra Berry. How are the children? This is not only a foundational question that frames the work, part of our mission here at A.L. Consulting, but it is the greeting of the Maasai of Kenya and Tanzania. In their language, Kesarian It acknowledges the value that the Maasai have always placed on their children's well-being. It reminds us that protecting and nurturing the children is the collective responsibility of society, its function, and its purpose. I like to think that as members of the K-12 school community, whether you're a school or LEA employee or what I refer to as education adjacent professional uh, sales rep or consultant providing services to K-12 schools, it is also our proper function. So I challenge you as I challenge the people that I work with all the time to make it your greeting rather than asking your peers in the teacher's lounge or in passing in a training session or on a sales call, how are you today? When you greet one another, put that purpose first and ask instead, how are the children? Now I invite you to close your eyes and take five seconds just to let that resonate. In our time today, I'll focus on the goal of creating a school, LEA or education adjacent organization that is a center of social justice in order to eliminate academic inequities, then I'll introduce you to a four part process by which you do so. I'll frame this into our guiding question, how do we create a unique organizational culture to move along the path to cultural competency as an organization. Part of creating a unique organizational culture relies on a common language. So if you're not familiar with my equity conversations protocol, check out the workshop, the equity conversations protocol available on this same channel. And don't forget to like and subscribe to stay on top of any new content that we release on the topic of equity. So now the level set, I wanna clarify what I mean when I'm talking about social justice. I'm talking about justice in terms of the distribution of educational opportunity and academic excellence so that our learners grow to become citizens with equitable access to wealth, and success. Part of the problem when discussing social justice is that it's painful for some who've never had to confront the issue before. Put simply, when you're comfortably secure in your privilege, social justice feels like tyranny. Recently, the concept of social justice is one that has been deemed thema non grata in several of our United States. But that's not the only third rail I'll touch on today. Let me start by defining three critical terms that fall into that same camp to make sure we're all on the same page. The first term is diversity. Diversity is simply about human variety. It's about the range of cultures, anthropological ancestries and ethnic origins. It's about languages, gender, socioeconomic status, Abilities and other demographics that we tag or name as identifiers of the people within our school communities. But diversity also includes thoughts and belief systems. When we're doing work on diversity, we have to include all of those markers or categories. Diversity is not simply an issue of skin color or ethnic origin. But unless and until we address minority centered diversity, diversity of the social construct called race. Anything else is just tinkering along the margins. It's walking on eggshells. The second term is equity. Unlike diversity, which is pretty complex, equity is simple. And I created a simple definition that you can easily keep in your head. Equity is freedom from bias against or favoritism for any group. As members of the K-12 community, it's about making sure that every child gets exactly what they need in order to experience academic success, with instruction being free from bias against any group of learners or showing favoritism for any group of learners. And our third and final term here is inclusion. Inclusion is a practice that should be part of our policies and the culture of our schools and organizations. It's providing equitable access to opportunities and resources within our schools to people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized based on who they are, based on their diversity. So when I talk about schools as spheres of social justice, We validate diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI. We recognize and value diversity. We provide equity across every aspect of K-12 education. And we practice inclusion. In doing so, we create organizations with cultures of providing educational opportunity, of promoting academic excellence for every child, so that our learners grow to become citizens with equitable access to wealth and success. And a big part of creating these systems, these organizations is in becoming culturally competent. A bit of a rhetorical question for you at this point is this, where is your school, your district, your LEA, your company or organization on the pathway to cultural competence? Certainly, I don't expect you to know the answer yet. As an educator, I don't ever believe in leaving anything about teaching and learning the chance. So here's the micro lesson. First, you'll often hear me say, every problem is a leadership problem. So when I talk about an organizational culture, recognize that that culture is shaped by your leadership. It is supported by leadership and it requires leadership to facilitate any change. Second, I I reference cultural competency as a pathway, and it is one on which we all walk. It's one on which some organizations choose to sit, unmoving, and one on which others choose never to set foot. Let's look at the four steps along this pathway with one caveat, Don't try to assign other organizations to the steps. If you're familiar with the equity conversations protocol, you know that the first behavior on that protocol is to work on yourself first, okay? Okay. Organizations first set foot on the pathway in the fear zone. In that first step, it is unconsciously incompetent. That is, it doesn't even know that it doesn't know. It's a place of blissful ignorance where the culture of the organization supports complete cluelessness on the commission of microaggressions, and fear keeps it there. It's a place where organizations enjoy a certain amount of privilege, and you don't see a need for addressing DEI because you deny that a problem exists. By the way, privilege is not limited to white people. That's a completely different session. And if you're interested in a workshop on privilege, email toolkit at alberryinc.com for more information. Now, it's okay to begin in this place of unconscious incompetence, living in the fear zone. And since this session is focused on moving your organization along the pathway, I want to ask of you to not think about this personally. I want you to think about your organization, your place of work, its culture, its language, its behavior, its norms, morals, and beliefs. Is your organization unconsciously incompetent? Does your organization not know that they really don't know anything about cultural competence, even though it may profess that it does? When an organization gets to the second point on the path, it enters the learning zone. It is consciously incompetent. And this can be a dangerous spot for an organization. Here there is awareness, consciousness, that the organization is culturally incompetent. As an organization, leadership now knows that they don't know. Leadership at this point recognizes that there are challenges with diversity, equity and inclusion in the organization, but they don't know what they are or how to address them. If your leadership doesn't care and your organization is at this point, your org has a stuck mindset and that can be very harmful to everyone involved, the organization, the people in it, and the children they are supposed to serve. I call this the banana peel point. It's easy to step on that banana peel and fall. However, organizations can work towards moving along the path, but it requires proper support and ongoing development. It requires seeking out professional learning to educate everyone within the organization, whether they think they need it or not. And it requires associating with organizations that are further along the path. When an organization moves to the third point on the path, it is unconsciously competent. It's still in the learning zone, but the organizational culture is shifting. It can demonstrate that it knows something about DEI. Leadership knows the learning isn't complete, but they're acting on information and learning Or looking to learn more, to have everyone in the organization learn more, to shift the culture so they can do better. Now, this is not a bad spot to be in, but there's one more step. And that is to the final point on the path where an organization is consciously competent. It's in the growth zone now. The organization has developed a culture that incorporates and values, social justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The organization's policies and procedures have been adapted to reflect those values. Instructional materials reflect that shift. Instructional methods reflect that shift. Disciplinary actions in schools reflect that shift. Language, marketing, product development and authorship and reviewer composition in K-12 publishing organizations, they reflect that shift. So whether you're a classroom teacher, school or district administrator, you're in product development, a sales rep, consultant, or senior leadership at a K-12 publisher, it is not only not acceptable, but expected that you will call out bias and inequity in instructional materials and practices Everyone across the organization can call out bias and practices, microaggressions, and behaviors that run counter to a culture that professes to value diversity, equity, and inclusion. Even so, the organization continues to examine their work and strives to do better. Because the more you know, the more you realize you aren't finished in your work. But at this point along the pathway, people work to help others move forward. As an organization, you can share with the broader K-12 community what you've done and how you've come to this place where your organization does serve as a sphere of social justice and the benefits all learners derive from your being at this place. So where's your organization? Think for a moment and take this challenge. Tag me on social, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, and simply share two words. Unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, unconsciously competent, or consciously competent with the hashtag pathway to cultural competence. If you need to, go ahead and hit the pause button. I'll be here when you get back. All right, now with your background knowledge about the pathway in place, let's dive into this four-part process to move. Think of this four-part process like a four-part Venn diagram. In just a second, I'll break this down into actionable steps, but it's important to view it first as a whole. The four parts are professional learning, collective mindset, action, and cohesion. And where all four of those parts overlap, that's the culture of your organization. Now, I'm going to focus on framing this around DEI, but Really, you can apply these four parts to any other topic and through some group activities, find out what the culture of your organization is about any issue or area. As an example, English learning, STEM, advanced coursework. You get it. Part one is professional learning and congratulations Just by your being here, engaging in this workshop, you've got part one moving in the right direction. But one or two sessions online at a conference via YouTube, it's not enough, not even one or two of my sessions. Remember, this is a slice of one lecture in a three-unit course. Now in part one, professional learning, you want to have ongoing professional learning where educators work on improving their levels of awareness and connectedness to the full range of diversity and cultures that learners bring to our nation's K-12 schools. You can't teach them if you can't connect with them. Instruction cannot reach them if it is not relevant to them, if it does not connect to their lived experiences. The guiding question for part one is, Is our professional learning focused on building every individual's cultural competence? It's not about having just the teachers engaged in this type of professional learning. It's your leaders, your support staff, counselors, custodians, cafeteria workers, board members even. If you're an education adjacent organization, a provider of agnostic professional development, a curriculum publisher or other service provider, It's not just the consultants who deliver professional development. It's also about developing cultural competence of your sales professionals, their managers and RVPs, senior leadership, product development, and marketing teams. Your provider of professional learning should be addressing privilege, implicit and explicit bias. Your organization should be learning to establish spaces where you can name what I refer to as the isms. This is work that must begin at the top with senior leadership teams. Remember what I said earlier? Every problem is a leadership problem. So to take an organizational approach to reshaping the organizational culture, recognize that it requires leadership to facilitate change. Now, just a quick side note on bias. It can be either explicit or implicit. It's important in having conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion that everyone in the organization understand exactly what explicit and implicit bias are. Explicit bias is like the part of an iceberg that's above the water. These are attitudes and beliefs about which we are fully conscious that we ourselves can self-report and everyone can see them. We all know and acknowledge that a specific bias is there, but much like when you spot an iceberg on the water, you know that there's a lot more below the surface that you cannot see. And that below the surface part is called implicit bias. These are the fundamental beliefs and values that live deep within us. It's what influences our thoughts and behaviors, perhaps unconsciously, which is why you'll also hear it referenced as unconscious. Bias. Where implicit bias taints policies and practices, curriculum and instruction, we harm children. We must make sure that professional learning addresses uncovering it, naming it, and eliminating it from our organizations, from our policies, our procedures, our materials, and our methods. Now, part two of the four-part approach is shifting the mindset, and I want you to put aside any notion of fixed versus growth mindset for just a moment. I want to remind you what I said about the second point on the path, about being consciously incompetent, that banana peel spot, and I'm going to tell you a little story, a true story. In my final teaching assignment, I taught sixth grade in a school that was 99% free or reduced lunch. A significant percentage of our learners lived in a housing project. So one day we were in a faculty meeting and I was on my soapbox, strongly advocating for a longer block of instruction for reading because we had a significant number of our students, more than 85% of our learners who were more than two to four years below grade level in both reading and math. Now I can be a formidable opponent or an awe-inspiring advocate. That day, I was totally on my soapbox on behalf of the children. The instructional specialist, the person who is charged with making sure that students got the instructional resources needed for academic success, looked at me and said, and I quote, I don't know why you care so much. It's just another generation of toilet scrubbers. Yep. My friend sitting next to me grabbed my arm as I started to leap over the table to strangle her. Mindset. How we see the children, cultural competence, implicit biases, shape the beliefs we have about our learners. I saw, I still see literacy as a form of social justice. It's our learners' opportunity to become whomever they want to become. She saw another generation of toilet scrubbers. So for this second part, setting the mindset, the fundamental question is, what do we believe about the children that we are employed to serve? As an organization, what do we value in what they bring to school? Does our organization our policies and practices, the materials we produce and sell or adopt and use harbor implicit bias that impacts teaching and learning. And how are our collective and individual mindsets, not only affecting teaching, but also learning? Now, that's something for you to journal on and maybe discuss with your colleagues and your PLCs. When we work on shifting the mindset, we start at the top, then move down to the classrooms. Because if you don't have proper individual mindsets at the highest level, both education and education adjacent leadership, you won't ever get it in the classroom. All right, off my soapbox, but moving on to part three, which is moving from intentionality to actuality. Dictionaries define intentionality as the fact or of being deliberate, or purposive. But in philosophy, intentionality is about the quality of mental states. Intentionality is about our thoughts, desires, beliefs, and hopes as they're directed towards some object, persons, or state of affairs. For our purpose, we're going with the philosophical definition. And I'll reframe that for us here as the quality of our collective mindset. It is the thoughts, beliefs, desires, and hopes as they're directed towards students, teaching, and learning, or the state of achievement outcomes. Let me say that again because there's a lot to unpack there. Intentionality is the quality of our collective mindset. It is the thoughts, beliefs, desires, and hopes as they are directed towards students, teaching, and learning or the state of achievement outcomes. Intentionality is our public facing talk track, but we have to get beyond intentionality to it being the actuality of achievement in our schools, right? Why? Because we're talking about our schools being spheres of social justice. Nothing wrong with good intentions, but the truth The actuality lies in the data. And what does your data tell you? Facts and data allow you to create structural equity and structural equity can easily be planned on paper or virtual paper. Structural equity can be developed into content written by educational publishers. Structural equity can be embedded into professional learning provided by external consultants. Every organization that touches the education of children should be planning a structure that shows no favoritism for any group of learners and shows no bias against any group of learners. For instance, there's data on outcomes that tells us that the most important easily alterable determinant of academic success is time in instruction. There's overwhelming data on literacy that tells us that explicit systematic instruction in synthetic phonics in the science of reading is the best way to teach every child to read, write, and think on time and on grade. These are simple matters of structure. It's how we set our schools up, who teaches what courses, how large or small are which classes. What instructional materials do we use for which children? What measurements do we take and how do we act on the data? If you commit to structural equity, you should have facts and data that enable you to hold people and organizations accountable. If there are people in your organization that are blocking your ability to achieve what you intend, You have to challenge those stuck mindsets. If you are doing business with organizations that are blocking your ability to achieve what you intend, do business elsewhere. Taking an organizational approach means doing what's best for all your learners. Ask yourself what does our data tell us about any gap between our intentions? and our actuality. All right. Part four is simply sticking together. Organizations, leadership must have unity in addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion. It takes teamwork to do that work. I have a dear friend who always says, teamwork makes the dream work. Everyone must be part of the same game plan for your organization to be successful. So our fourth fundamental question then is, are we all in this together? And this is one to continuously ask your team as you go about the work. Schedule checkpoints. Lean on protocol number four of the equity conversations protocol, which states stay engaged in dialogue. Remain focused and flexible. Have a time frame and a game plan and check in Often, At times, it will seem like everyone is rowing in unison, and that's great. It makes work life easy. But when even one team member is out of step, out of cadence, you should notice. And the more people who begin to move to their own beat, the harder it gets for an organization, a team, to get to that fourth step on the road to cultural competence. Think about a time you may have experienced someone being out of step with the goals of the organization. How did that affect the goal, the mindset, or the cohesiveness of the rest of the organization? As you engage in the work, the four-part process, and moving along to the path to cultural competence and support of DEI, hold on to this statement by Dr. Eddie Gloud that I've annotated to address our topic today. We must understand that social justice is a practice, not an end. We're never going to get to a point of being there and being done, certainly not in my lifetime. This country has spent more than 400 years creating systems that are designed to prevent social justice for black and indigenous peoples in particular, and a majority of otherwise diverse members of our communities that doesn't change overnight. As we work to undo those policies, others will work to find ways to reinstitute their privilege, but don't give up. To build an organization with a culture of conscious competence where schools are spheres of social justice, you have to examine all your practices and your policies, all of your norms and behaviors. You have to examine your culture. To build a culture of competence, organizations have to move from the fear zone through the learning zone to the growth zone. They must first validate diversity, equity, and inclusion. Then they must recognize and value racial diversity first because that's the one that generations of Americans have been programmed against other-centered diversity will follow, and they will be comparatively easy. We must provide equity across every aspect of K-12 education, and we must practice inclusion. In doing so, whether yours is a school, district, other LEA, or education-adjacent organization, You create a culture of providing educational opportunity and of promoting academic excellence for every child. You create systems where learners grow to become citizens with equitable access to wealth and success. And since a big part of creating these schools is in becoming culturally competent, let's look at the three things required as an organization reaches that fourth point on the road. Number one, leadership guarantees that conscious competence is part of the way the organization operates. Number two, everyone in the organization continuously engages in high quality professional learning that supports the work and helps the organization grow. And number three, the leaders in the organization work to help others along the path other individuals, as well as other organizations. Now I'll close with one last thing about me, and that is that I am a huge fan of using proverbs of various cultures to raise our awareness on the richness of the diverse cultures of our learners. The one I chose to close this workshop is a proverb of the Yoruba peoples, a nod to part of my ancestry and a good wrap to our topic. Where you sit when you are old shows where you stood in youth. Now, not to worry even if you're like me and maybe feel a bit seasoned in terms of your years here on this planet. The work of diversity, of equity is still in its youth. Thank you for joining me for this workshop. If your district provided you this link as part of the equity audit process with Alberry Consulting, they have access to additional activities that are part of this session. If you joined on your own and have questions or would like more information, please email toolkit at alberryinc.com. There are links to my book, Affecting Change for Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Learners, as well as the Equity Conversations Protocol Workshop down below don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to us on social. Be well.